You know, uh, we've been going through this lesson on the lake series uh, uh, while Dan's been out on study break. Uh, Dan's going to be coming back pretty soon. Next week, Steve Allen is going to uh, wrap up our lessons in the lake series. He's going to be bringing that final message in the series, and then Dan will be returning back to, uh, to us in just two weeks from now. from now. And so we're excited to have him back. But I'll tell you what, it's been awesome to have uh, just hear, you know, hearing from all the different staff, even one of our elders. I mean, uh, uh, um, what's his name? The little short guy that stands up? Kenny. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Kenny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kenny and Zach last week, <laughs> they really brought a great message. So seriously, Kenny, you guys brought a great message. And uh, it's a lot of fun. But you know, one of the things I really appreciated, Kenny, was the fact that you guys not only brought a great message, but you also just talked about how do you study the Bible. And, and, and it's really simple. And we overthink that so much. And we kind of get all caught up in our heads about that sometimes. And it's just great that they showed us how simple that really is. And that was great. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Jason Pegg. Jason's one of our elders. Folks, I don't know if you think about our elders very often or think about the way that these, uh, these great group of guys just serve our church. They love our church. They love the people of our church. They are passionate about our church, and, and God has called them into a very significant leadership role. And we are truly blessed by, by this great group of guys that serve us so tirely. And man, wasn't it, wasn't it great that we got to hear from one of our elders that was speaking truth into our life as well. Now, you know, it was probably about 30 years ago that I read a book, maybe even a little longer than that, but it was a book by M. Scott Peck. It was called The Road Less Traveled. I don't know if some of you may have read that, but that book stuck out in my mind and sticks out in my mind even today because the very first sentence of that book uh, just caught my attention. I mean, as a matter of fact, it, it, it's, it's only three words long. The very first sentence of his book is, life is difficult. And I think it's stuck in my mind probably because that may be the understatement of the century, right? I mean, this, if nothing else, this last couple years has taught us the simple truth that life is far more than difficult. And I think that life gets so difficult like that or feels so difficult like that because all we're trying to do is, is do life. You know, we're trying to be good moms and dads and, and good coworkers and good Christians and good neighbors and, and good family members, you know, taking care of our moms and dads and brothers and sisters. And, and we're just trying to go through life, and yet life seems to continually go sideways, doesn't it? I mean, time and time again, we keep trying to do our best, but it just tends to go sideways. And all we're trying to do is be and make disciples, right? All we're trying to do is, is to, uh, you know, walk through the ABCD process that we talk about here at VRL all the time, just trying to grow in Christ, and then life goes south. Now, we don't corner the market on this, right? We understand that. This has been happening for thousands of years. COVID didn't create this problem for us. Uh, we look in the scriptures, we see people doing this all the time, going through life, trying to serve God faithfully, and then things go sideways. We're actually gonna look at one of those stories today as we continue on this Lesson in the Lake series. Once again, we're not really looking at a lake today. We're looking at the Mediterranean Sea, looking at a shipwreck that happens to the Apostle Paul. So right at the end of the book of Acts, uh, there's, a, there's a series of events that unfold while Paul is trying to travel to Rome, and uh, his ship ends up getting wrecked. And so we're going to see what happens there. Now, frankly, there's way too much in this story for us to cover today. If you look in Acts, it's seven chapters long. From the beginning of this till the end, 
seven chapters. We're, we're just not going to be able to cover all that. But I encourage you to join me this week. We're going to be on a Facebook Live doing the devotions in the morning this week. We're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into those seven chapters uh, when we have some more time uh, to look at that. So, so join me then if you want. But we need to know what's happening with the Apostle Paul. We need to know what's going on with him. So let me just kind of summarize. Let me give you an overview of what's been happening for Paul. Now, Paul accepts Christ on the road to Damascus. His life is radically changed, and Paul begins missionary journeys, we call them. He begins to go around, starting churches, bringing the message of Christ, sharing Christ's love, you know, sharing the gospel with people. And it's being wildly successful. He's writing most of what we understand to be the New Testament today. Uh, he's writing this in the form of letters to all these churches and all these different people. And so it's, you know, he's having this huge and radical impact. He's having a lot of challenges along the way, but a lot of amazing things are happening. But through it all, Paul has a dream. And Paul's dream is to go to Rome. Now, Paul understands Rome is the center of power in the known world at that time. It's the center of influence in the known world at that time. And so Paul wants to get there. And he longs to get there. He actually writes him a letter. He finally makes a decision. It's time to go to Rome. And he writes a letter to the people that are living in Rome. We call that the Book of Romans. Now, read the Book of Romans. Paul talks about this. Romans chapter 1, verses 10 and 13 He says, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among the other Gentiles. Did you catch that little phrase in there? I was prevented until now. So Paul has gotten word from God, and we find out from the text that Paul actually does get word from God. Paul, it's time to go to Rome. Paul wants to go there. God wants him to go there. So Paul heads there. He's going to pass through Jerusalem, and, uh, and he's going to make this journey to Rome. And, uh, and you go, all right, man, Paul, that's cool. You finally get to fulfill your dream. You get to get to this place of, of great influence and get to start a solid church there and Christians. And man, it's going to be awesome. And, and God wants it and Paul wants it and everybody wants it. And man, we're excited and we're headed that direction. And the only problem is it actually takes Paul about two and a half to three years to actually get there after he writes this letter. See, things go south. Actually, things go south over and over and over for the Apostle Paul. All he's trying to do is serve God. All he's trying to do is bring the gospel to people. And yet he keeps, he thinks things just keep going sideways. So Paul heads to Jerusalem. That's where the journey begins. That's the first place that things go south because while he's in Jerusalem, some people trump up some false charges against him. He gets a mob, kind of goes, you know, riots up around him. They almost kill the Apostle Paul. The Romans take him into custody and really save his life from the mob. Uh, but when the Romans take him into custody, they actually go, all right, so what's going on here? And these are accusing them, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. They move him up to Caesarea to protect his life. But in Caesarea, he ends up imprisoned for two years. And during those two years, he goes through three different significant times of trial, as well as a lot of other inquisitions and questioning and time that's passing. But while he's there, the Apostle Paul has an idea right? He's got this figured out. See, Paul is not just a Jew. He's not just a Pharisee from his past. He's also a Roman citizen. Now, as a Roman citizen, he's got certain legal rights. 
And those legal rights allow him the opportunity to be heard by Caesar himself. He can, you know, ask to be heard by Caesar that his case, you know, that he's what he's been arrested for would be, you know, presided over by Caesar himself. Well, guess where Caesar lives? Caesar lives in Rome, right? So if Paul says, look, I want to be heard by Caesar, guess what they have to do? They have to ship Paul to Rome. Now, Paul just got a free ticket to Rome, right? I mean, now he's being accused by this stuff, but frankly, when you study the text, it's not anything that the Romans are going to care about. These are Jewish laws. So he's going to go to Rome. He's going to go before Caesar. Everything's going to work out perfectly. Well, no, not so much. (laughs) Once again, we're going to find that things are going to go sideways for the Apostle Paul. Because after two years of talking about it, should we send him to Rome? Should we not? How should we do this? All this stuff. Finally, a, a significant authority steps in and says he needs to be sent to Caesar. And so Paul steps foot on a boat. That boat is exactly where he wants to be. It's exactly where he wants to go. And it's exactly what God has told him to do, right? Everything's lining up. But that boat, that boat is going to actually get shipwrecked. And life seems to always go that way, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it? Man, things are coming together. Things are going along fine. All of a sudden, you feel like it's headed in the right direction, and you're following after God, and you've got clarity of purpose, and and man, everything's lined up, and then all of a sudden, things go sideways. You know, a number of years ago, I went through a time in my life, it was was honestly the toughest time before, you know, before or since. I've never had a a more difficult time. You know, I was working at a church, serving there as a pastor in uh, Mesa, Arizona, and I just felt like God was leading me to make a change. And so I, uh, you know, didn't know exactly what that meant, but eventually I got contacted by a church in Florida. And and this church in Florida was asking me to come and be their executive pastor. And, And so we started praying about it, Kathy and I did, and I started seeking counsel from some really wise friends and people that knew me really well. And we prayed and we counseled and we talked and we sought clarity. And folks, I'm telling you to this day, I stand before you absolutely certain. I have no doubts whatsoever in my mind that God called me to go and accept that position as executive pastor in Tampa, Florida. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we went there, you know, we were living in Arizona. Like I said, we packed up the kids, we packed up the house, we moved across country, settled in there, found a great house there. And folks, everything was going awesome. I mean, we brought our kids out there. They got plugged into some great schools out there. They had these great extracurricular activities. Our kids were loving what they were getting connected to and building some friendships and getting plugged into the student ministry that that church had. Uh, my wife and I were making great friends. You know, we found a great life group, a great group of people that just surrounded us and, and loved on us and cared for us and, and, and that we got to pour into. And it was just a great community for us and some great friends that stayed friends with us for a long, long time. The church was booming. Man, we were bringing people to Christ, so much so that we had to have a a big expansion project, a $16 million expansion project that we were expanding out so that we could reach the community and make sure that the the message of Christ was continuing on for people. And, And folks, this was exciting. It was exciting to be a part of it. And then we stepped foot on a boat that would take us on a journey that is painful, honestly, for me to even think about today. 
See, in 2008, we got there in 2007, but in 2008, I was at work, and my wife called me, and she said, hey, I just got a message from the doctor. She needs to see me right now, and she said not to come alone. Now, my wife had just had a mammogram, and so our fears built, and were soon very quickly confirmed. Kathy had a very aggressive form of breast cancer. Now, so aggressive, as a matter of fact, that they said that we caught it very early, but they said if we'd caught it just a few months later, the out ultimate outcome of this would have been very different. Uh, she wouldn't be sitting over there like she is right now. I mean, this, this, this was going to take some serious treatment, and so everything for us, it just changed in an instant. And we began to go through a process that, honestly, you can't truly understand unless you've actually gone through cancer yourself. It's about 400,000 tests procedures, doctor's appointments, stressing, wondering, waiting, waiting for information, not having information. It's just devastating. And then she began a chemotherapy regimen that just devastated her body, followed by a month-long session of intense radiation treatments. I remember to this day, my daughter Bailey and I uh, setting up a, a sheet on our bedroom floor with a chair in the middle, and um, Bailey and I, I'm getting a little emotional, <laughs> Bailey and I shaving her head because she just couldn't handle the clumps of hair that were just coming out. And, you know, walking with her through that and just the devastating nature of, of watching your wife go through that and your kids being scared and wondering what's going on. And folks, if that was a shipwreck, <laughs> that, that would have been welcome compared to what actually happened and, and on top of that. See, that wasn't the only thing that was going on right then. Right about the middle of my wife's chemotherapy treatment, Bailey started having stomach pains. And those started getting worse, and they kept getting worse, and eventually that ended up in us going to the ER one night, and Bailey ended up getting admitted to the hospital. I think it was for about a week and a half while they figured out what was going on. Eventually they figured out it was a reaction to a prescription medicine that she was taking, but it also had flared up this other problem with her gallbladder and lots of tests and procedures to try to get that under control. But the thing was, Kathy was in the middle of chemotherapy. She couldn't go to the hospital. Her immune system was devastated. So here her daughter's in the hospital. She can't do anything about it. I'm trying to, you know, help my wife. I'm trying to help my daughter, you know, not doing a good job at either one. And, and folks, it was just, you know, this, this tension of being pulled back and forth. Now, as a result of all those medical expenses, we were financially a mess. I mean, we had spent all of our checking account, all of our savings account. We didn't have very good medical coverage at the time. Um, and so uh, we had sold a boat. I mean, pretty much kind of did everything we could to pay bills. Frankly, if some family members of ours hadn't been generous for us, I don't know how we would have even made it through financially. And, and those days were tough, but we finally reached the end. It was the end of February in 2009. We reached the end. My wife had her last radiation treatment. The problems with Bailey, you know, it settled down. It was actually going to take us about two years and a bunch of stuff to figure out how to treat that problem and, and get her past it. But, you know, we at least had it under control. Life was kind of stabilizing, well, for about 30 days. Oh, <laughs> just to 30 days. See, I don't know if you remember what was going on in 2008 and 2009. 2008, the end of that was the big stock market crash. 
2009 was the second housing bubble burst that we went through, that second round of the bubble burst. And Florida, if you remember in the news, was extremely hard hit by this. I mean, it was devastating, whole communities in Florida. And our church and our community that we were located in was no exception to that. So the church was having to make some really tough decisions, and we were talking about it as leadership and trying to figure out what's going on. We finally had to lay off 30% of the staff, 30 to 40% of the staff, and one of the senior leadership positions had to go, either myself or the senior pastor. Well, the senior pastor needed to lead that congregation, and so you know, I had to get laid off. 30 days after all this was done, I you know, went home, and I remember, again to this day, walking upstairs, Kathy was sitting in a chair, in the corner of our bedroom, and I went, I sat on the bed, and I just started to cry. I mean, folks, I was just absolutely wrecked. Now, once again, I wish that was it. Okay, folks, it keeps going. So then I began to start doing this search, and I'm praying, and I'm seeking after God, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, God, what do you have for us next? You know, obviously, God, you brought us here. You've got a plan for all this, but I, nothing was happening, and I'm trying to figure this out, and, and, and time passed, but as I was walking around a lake one day, I slipped and I fell, and I landed on this elbow with almost all my weight and completely ripped up my shoulder and tore my rotator cuff, but we didn't have any money, so I couldn't get it fixed. Kind of went in and got it patched up, got through it as best we could, Dealt with that surgery a few years later as we got through it. And then maybe as the final cap on the whole thing, you know, uh, I had, the church had been very gracious to me and gave me some severance pay and all that, but it was only for a few months, and that was running out. We had to, we had to sell our house because we couldn't afford to pay for a house. Uh, we were talking with my sister about moving in with her just because she had an extra room kind of thing. We'll pile the kids in the corner, who knows, whatever. We'll figure it out. But that was our plan, and so we met with a realtor, and the realtor informed us that, of the, that there was 5,000 homes in our immediate area. And of those 5,000 homes, 3,000 of them were either for sale or being foreclosed on, which meant that all the money that we had made when we sold our house in Arizona and that we had put down in this house was, poof, just gone. I mean, folks, we were devastated. In the span of nine months, my family had faced cancer, a major hospitalization of our child, uh, actually multiple hospitalizations of our child, the loss of my job, the loss of our home, a torn rotator cuff, financial ruin, and short, folks, my life was shipwrecked. Now, I'm an optimistic person by nature. <laughs> my optimism actually kind of drives my wife crazy. Uh, <laughs> it'll drive her crazy sometimes. And I would love to be able to stand up here and say, folks, I, I believed God, and I had faith, and I stood strong in the storm, and I would be lying to you through my teeth. I was completely wrecked. I was at the lowest of my lows. My tank was empty. I questioned my life. I questioned my call to ministry. I questioned my decisions. I questioned my leadership. I questioned why God would put me and my family through all of this, and frankly, I questioned God. And through it all, I learned some really tough lessons. And coming all the way back to the Apostle Paul now, we see they're also doing some things in the midst of their shipwreck. And frankly, they were the same type of lessons that I learned, those tough lessons that I learned when I was going through all that. And, and somehow, 
we need to be able to learn those lessons, hopefully before we go into them, because frankly, it wasn't a whole lot of fun learning them in the process. And I would hope for you that you have a different experience than, than I did. So kind of looking back, Paul has stepped foot on this ship now, and he's actually sailed to a different port. Now, when he gets to this different port, they put him on a different ship. They wait around for some good weather, right? Good weather's right there. They finally have some good weather, and they head out. They head out across the sea. Um, they're making a beeline for Rome, and a storm comes in, a devastating storm comes in. Uh, winds blow. They absolutely lose total control of the ship. Um, it's blown literally out to sea. They have no idea where they are, where they're going. They're just at the whim of this storm, and they begin to act just like really good sailors should. And when we get into our shipwrecks like that, folks, we need to act. We need to take some, some steps that are gonna get us through the storm. Now, the first thing we see them doing is Acts 20, chapter 27. If you got your Bibles, you know, up to 27, I'm gonna be looking at a couple verses from there and another one from 28 as we kind of see this unfold. But Acts 27, verses 18 and 19 is when they take their first steps. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. Folks, they needed to adjust their priorities. They needed to decide what was really going to be valuable, right? And, and this, see, this was a cargo ship that Paul was put on. It wasn't a passenger liner. But when that storm hit, they needed to adjust their priorities. It now became a passenger liner. The lives of the people on there outweighed the value of the cargo. And so they started throwing the cargo. They started throwing the gear off the side. Now, folks, looking back on my own shipwreck, on my own time of the shipwreck, um, I did a terrible job. I did a terrible job on this one. When it came to adjusting my priorities and trying to balance these responsibilities of the church and the church going through the crisis I was telling you about and, and trying to get this building done and my wife going through cancer and my daughter in the hospital. And, and honestly, I did a terrible job. As a matter of fact, I, I truly believe that the thing that hurts the most for me when I look back on that time is how badly I failed as a husband and as a father during this shipwreck. That's what hurts me the most because I should have been a better husband to my wife. She deserved better. And my kids, for me to be there and support them and to help them through it. Uh, and I failed. I learned some really tough lessons about what really matters and what needs to take first in my life. And they figured out the same thing on this ship. And we all need to figure out the same thing in our life. Folks, you will have a shipwreck. If you haven't already had one, you're going to have one again. And if you've already had one, you'll probably have another one. That's just life, right? We got to be ready for that. We got to keep first things first. And when we figure out what those things are, we need to hold tightly to them and never, ever let them go. Now, we also need to somehow, through all that storm, we need to learn how to listen for the voice of God. In Acts chapter 27, verses 23 to 25, it says, for the last night, this is Paul talking here, it says, for last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. Right? God's saying, Paul, you're gonna make it to Rome, 
right? Don't worry about this. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. See, folks, the question here is, who are you going to listen to? When you're in this storm, who are you going to listen to and who are you going to believe? Now, let me tell you a truth about a shipwreck. If you haven't already been in one, and if you've been in one, you'll know that what I'm about to say is true. Shipwrecks are noisy. They are incredibly noisy. You know, the screams of failures and hardships that are going on around us in those times, uh, the loud shouts of fear that we have, emotional noise and relational noise and spiritual noise. Man, it's like trying to talk while standing next to a jackhammer. It's just drowning out everything that's going on around you. All you can hear are the distractions. And during those times, it seems like the voice of God, frankly, it seems like it's the farthest away that it's ever been, or maybe is even completely silent. So you just can't hear it. But folks, I want you to hear this clearly. I have been there in the deafening silence. And I can tell you that it is possible to find God's voice in the chaos. But it's not going to happen on accident. It's not going to happen just by going about your business. You're going to have to go after it. You're going to have to take the time to create some stillness internally in the midst of the chaos to create some stillness internally. And you're going to have to also just practically create some silence externally. You're going to have to find a way to, to stop fearing and focusing on the fear and the worry and simply be able to come into the presence of God, to, to put all those things aside. Now, for me during this time, it was the outdoors. I would take hikes around my neighborhood through the forest. I had a little path walked out. I would take walks around my neighborhood. I also did a lot of fishing, which, by the way, is how I fell on my elbow and tore up my shoulder walking around a lake, right? Maybe it wasn't such a good idea. Uh, but, uh, you know, folks, we, I, I would get in those moments. And for me, connecting with God out in nature, that's just how I feel his presence. And so I would get out in nature, and I would, uh, God said the same thing to me, folks. I'm telling you, for four and a half months, God said the same short phrase to me every single day. And it wasn't audible. I just knew that he was saying it to me, and that was this. Jay, if I can create all of this, then I can take care of you and your family. You don't need to worry. If I can handle all this, I can handle what you're going through. And that's what I needed to hear every day. And day after day, I longed for those moments when I would just sense that message from God. But we're going to have to create it. We're going to have to adjust our priorities. We're going to have to listen for the voice of God and the presence of God. We're also going to have to anchor ourselves, to really anchor ourselves in some things that are going to create some strength in our life. Look at Acts 27, verses 27 to 29, about midnight on the 14th night of the storm. Folks, this is not a small storm. It's been going on for two weeks. They've been blown around the sea. As we were driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed that land was near. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. See, folks, it's in the hardest times that's when it's most important for us to throw out those anchors, to, to find some, some place of strength and some point of strength in our life. Now, the Bible talks about a lot of different foundations that we can anchor ourselves into. For me, it was pretty straightforward, pretty simple. First of all, I needed to worship. 
I needed to be at worship every single week. Now, that sounds easy and that sounds obvious, but it wasn't. It was extremely hard and yet vitally important that I was there. It was extremely hard because now I'm sitting here listening to messages of hope and messages of God's love and of his care and of his provision, and I'm not feeling it. And I'm singing songs, these worship songs that, that are talking about God's goodness and grace and, and blessings and all this type of stuff, but I'm not feeling it. But I forced myself to go. I forced myself to get there because whether I felt it or not, I knew that it was true. I knew that it was true. And folks, sometimes we're going to need to do what we know rather than what, be led by what we feel. Folks, our feelings, they are the great deceiver and they will lead you places that frankly you don't want to go and you don't want to live in. They will lead you to the wrong places. You got to combine your head. Yes, don't ignore those feelings, but you know, don't ignore what's going on in your head. Follow what we know. Let the feelings come along later. The second thing for me, the second anchor was prayer. I mean, how in the world would I expect anything to change if I wasn't praying for change to take place? The third thing was people. I mentioned them earlier. People in our life group that surrounded us and loved on us and supported us and encouraged us. And folks, I've said this a bunch of times before, but this is the truth. You need to find your life group before you need a life group. Okay? You can't build those relationships in the midst of the storm. You've got to invest and build those relationships before the storms come. So if you're not in a life group, you need to find your life group before you actually need a life group. And for me, the fourth area was God's word. Folks, the number one antidote to fear and uncertainty is truth. So surround yourself with the truth. Folks, the deceiver wants to fill your mind with lies. Fight that by filling it instead with truth. Now, finally, we see the apostle Paul just staying on mission. When you're in the storm, you're going to have to stay on mission. Keep moving forward. You know, Dory and the little mermaid or whatever that was. Just keep swimming, right? <laughs> Just keep moving forward. You gotta have to stay on mission. I wish we had time to really go through this because this is to me is the most fascinating part of, of what we learned from Paul's actions himself. It actually starts all the way at the beginning of those seven chapters. When Paul gets into Jerusalem, he's on mission. When he gets arrested, he's on mission. When he goes through all the different trials, he's on mission, he's on mission, he's on mission. He gets on the boat, he's on mission. They start getting shipwrecked, he's on mission. Now, that's exactly what happens, right? They go through these, this storm. They finally, one morning, they see some shore off in the distance, and they look out, and they go, look, we can make a run for it. We, we are going to be able to make it. Well, they put the sail up. They head for shore. They're just going to beach the ship because they got to get off the ocean. And so they're just heading for it. Instead, they hit some rocks. The ship breaks apart. It falls into pieces. There's debris in the water. They all grab on a debris. They slowly make their way to land. They're dusting themselves off, sitting around a fire. Paul gets bit by a poisonous snake, shakes it off, and gets on mission. Look at this. Acts 28, verse 7 and 9. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius' father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laid his hands on him, and he healed him. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Right? Paul goes through a shipwreck, escapes with his life. You know, drifting out in the ocean, making it to shore, gets bit by a snake. Hey, let me get out and get back into ministry. 
because that's what Paul was about. Paul was about spreading the gospel. And he stays on mission to the point that a few months after that, about three months later, they catch another ship, and Paul finally realizes his dream. He is in Rome. Now, folks, I get it. Everything we talked about, they're hard. None of that is easy. And when you're in the middle of the storm, it becomes 10 times harder, 10 times, 100 times harder to do any of those things. It's painful. It's tough. It's the hardest kind of work that's out there. But if we can be strong in the storm, if we, if we can stay on mission, then God says, look, I'm going to be with you in that journey. I'm going to help get you to the other side of this storm. God's going to get there because he's got a plan for our life. He has a dream for our life. He has things he's trying to shape in our life. And that's what these storms do. I don't think that God intends for us to go through them. But I think he's going to use them to radically shape us because he's got a plan for us. I know how hard it is. Folks, it's in those hard times that God can do his best work. And I know this because that's when he did his best work in me. That experience, that shipwreck that I went through significantly changed me. Changed me as a, as a dad, changed me as a husband, changed me as a pastor, changed me as a friend. It, it significantly changed who I am. And the truth is that if you're facing this kind of discouragement right now, I don't know exactly when that journey is going to end. I don't know when that storm is going to come to an end or when your shipwreck is going to be over and you're going to finally find yourself on the shore someplace or at the ultimate destination of where God wants you to go. But I know that God's going to be with you in it. And I knew that he will, he can and he will, use it to shape you into the man or the woman that he intends for you to be. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you because, God, you are a good God. And even in those darkest of storms, even in those most painful of events in life, God, your goodness is still there. Your mercy is still there. Your blessings are still there. And, and God, I understand that we don't feel it. And sometimes we even betray the faith that we have in you during those times. And yet, God, you remain faithful. I mean, faithful to seeing us through it, loving us through it, caring for us, sometimes coddling us and and just helping us to take one more step to get a little bit closer to the other side. God, we thank you that you love us that deeply. We thank you that you never waste these hurts. You never waste these difficulties, but that you use them to shape us to become more and more like your son. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.